Well, good day, Fellowship family. It's great to have you with us. Welcome. We're continuing this adventure from Genesis to Jesus. And if you're brand new here to Fellowship, welcome. We're, uh, we'll hope you'll stick with us through this ride. It's going to be a 10-week experience for us. And we're going just in our time together here as a church family. We're looking at what are the ramifications of this story and allowing God to write his story in us. But it's not just what happens in this room. We've uh, created this booklet to take you through this process on a day-by-day basis. And it's a devotional that you can go through each day, kind of preparing you for the weekend and listening to God through his word. And I'd invite you to get this if you don't have it. If you're in a small group, you probably already have it. But if you're not in a small group, I made a joke last week that if you're in a small group, there's $10. And if you're not, there are 100 But I really I didn't mean that. Um, these are $10 donation at the Welcome Center. And by the way, if you don't have $10, I want you to have the book. So just go up there and say, hey, I, I'm not going to be able to give 10 bucks, and we'll give you one of these books because we want this book more than we want your money. And then as our small groups are all connected into this, uh, we're discussing and we're going deeper as we're articulating uh, our faith in what God is doing in our lives. And so I'd encourage you to join us. And so thanks for being here, and I'd like you to open up your Bibles to the first book of the Bible, book of Genesis, and the first chapter and the first verse of that book of Genesis. And and this passage that we're going to be looking at today answers so many of life's greatest questions like, is there a God? How did we get here? Um, How do you explain the world as it is today? Why do I long for things to be better, but things aren't getting better? I mean, all of it is kind of shown to us in this passage. And uh, for that first question, it's answered right off the bat. It says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God, God was in the beginning, and he created the heavens and the earth. And so we're introduced to this God, and he is the creator of all. And uh, this whole process of this uh, experience, it began last week when we talked that Jesus was there in the beginning. And the story begins and it ends with Jesus. And as we look at creation, we want to summarize creation in three major statements. And most of your Bible is summarized by these three statements. But it has to do with creation, the fall, and redemption. And looking at closer at each one of those, creation kind of shows us who we are at our best, the best of us, how God created us to be. And then the fall happens in Genesis chapter 3, and it actually shows the worst, us at our worst. And it kind of explains why I, I feel the way I do. Why is the world not what it should be? Well, it shows us through the fall what happened there. And then we take a look at that one word, redemption, what God did to bring us back, God's provision for us. So let's take a look at this and uh, make some statements. First of all, who are we at our best? As we read this passage and I highlight some verses, here are three things we're going to see. Number one, we're going to see people reflecting the image of God. God created us in his image. We'll learn a little bit of what that, that is. Secondly, people are going to be responding to the word of God. In other words, the word of God is something that's, that's going to touch their heart. And they're going to follow it. They aren't going to question it. They aren't going to question the motive of who God is. They aren't going to change the word. They're going to take God at his word and they're going to follow him. They're always responding to him. And then they're loving God and they're loving each other. Let's take a look at this story on how it's shown. 
And the first one is the image of God. Let's take a look at that in verse 27 of Genesis chapter 1. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So this is interesting because up to this point, we have God uh, forming and filling the world that he had created. He, he uh, puts all the creatures in the sea, in the air, and on land. But there's something, there's something about humanity that's different. This is the first poem of scripture. It's almost as if Moses, when he was writing this, as he wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, stood back and just went into a poet. And he said, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. Take a look at that. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? This is something that's important for us to understand because it's not just our identity, but it's also our purpose. What it means is we exist to make God greater. We exist to point to God. We exist to reflect his image in us. We are created to do that. Now realize there's differences in this. We are different from the other creatures in this, but we're not necessarily better. It's not like we're better because there are capacities that my dog has that I could only dream to have. Like even with this Middle Eastern nose, okay, I cannot smell like my dog. I mean, smell like my dog smells, okay? (laughs) Sorry, you'd think by four services I'd get through this, but uh, I can't run as fast as my dog, okay? But there's something about us that's different, and God has crafted us to reflect him. And we're different, we're different. There's male and they're female, yet we're called to reflect him, to make him greater. And so it's not just our identity. Look at the purpose then that God gives him. He says, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, Some of you take this literally and you have 14 children (laughs) and, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so we're called into a stewardship with God that as God has created the environment and created this world, we are to steward well this environment. And that's why I always call Christians. We need to be examples of how uh, people respect the environment. And I'm not talking to you join a political party. I'm just saying we need to be responsible. We need to leave things better than we found them. And we need to join in and respect what God has created and tend, tend to it and make a contribution in this world. God created us in his image and we were called to reflect that. So God calls him right in, reflect who I am by, by stewarding creation. And then we have the word of God. And the word of God was given to Adam. And it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. I want you to remember this and how this is written because it's important. It's important. God says you can eat of everything. Every tree of the garden. If you have your Bibles open, just underline that word every. Because it's often that we go, as soon as we see the word but, (laughs) but don't eat of this one. We focus on the one but. But we don't focus on the whole thing of everything that God has created. Here you have a God who is generous. He is He is fruitful. He is bountiful. He says, look at this. I take delight and pleasure. 
It's kind of like when you're a parent and you make a meal for your children and they go, wow, this is awesome. And you go, wow, thank you for saying this was awesome. This is what God saw in, our, in us when we were enjoying what he was creating and what we were taking pleasure in what he was creating. But so many times this side of the fall, we go, yeah, but it was the one tree. It's the one tree. And God said, you can eat out of everyone. But so let's just be honest and ask the question, why did God make this tree? And why did he put that one tree in the middle of the garden? Answer, I don't know. I don't. I've heard it explained in a variety of areas. And I guess the one that makes the most sense to me is this, that God longs for us to make a decision in worshiping him. And so he put that tree in the garden so that we would decide every day to worship him or to not, to go his way or to go our own. And I think that's what's beautiful about a relationship that's willing and that's free without obligations, restraints, limitations. You have that opportunity and that provides us each day to willingly worship God and not have a gun to our head saying, you better or else. And so God called them into that, but it was responding to the word of God. He created them to respond. Now think about this. Up to this point, God said, let there be light. And light said, no, let me think about it. No, there was no such thing as light. God called it and immediately the, what nothing, the Latin word for that, ex nihilo, nothing became something. Think about that. God needs nothing to make something. We all need something to make something else. God sources and we resource. And so this whole picture is God calling them to follow him and to obey his word and to live in harmony with him and with each other. And then the last area is that God looks and and makes the statement as he looks over everything he's created and he says this. It is not good, Adam. For you to be alone. And then it gives us a little bit of background. God created all these beasts and all these creatures and brought them to the man. And the man joined in with this whole picture of who God is. And he named them. You will be a horse. And I see a male and female. Yeah, I see. You will be a cow. And I see a male and female. You will be a camel. I see male and female. You will be a cat. Let's move on to the next animal. But for him, there was no helper suitable. And just in case you think that that word helper is an undignified term for women, it is not. That word for helper is actually a name for God. God is my ever-present help in time of need. It gives women dignity. Women in the eyes of God have never been reduced or objectified like our culture has made them. God has given them dignity and he's created them different than men, but also part of his image. And we need to be people who validate that with him. And so he calls them into that. And then he brings this woman to Adam that he has crafted out of his rib. And why his rib? Another answer. I don't fully know, but it sure beats if he made her out of his foot because he would want to trample on her or his head. We could be competitive with her so that we would come alongside each other in relationship. And he brings her to the man, and Adam says this. Adam says, this at last, at last, is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, Moses writes, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's look, look at that last phrase there because it brings out two words. It brings out intimacy and innocence. Now, intimacy in that they were both naked. Now, as soon as I say that, in a broken mind, in a broken world, we all go, we all kind of blush. We can't even say that word without being naked. What this shows us is that sex, here we go, PG-14, you ready? Buckle up. Sex is God's idea. And the creator put in our lives that desire for sex. That's a good thing when it goes according to God's will and his way for us. Now, God says he wants to put us into a relationship, one man, one woman, into a lifetime relationship, which Jesus would even say this in his ministry. He said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he said this, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one tear apart. So it's a lifelong commitment. Now, think about this, because every time I talk to my kids about the facts of life, I've always brought in this story. Here God, he created everything. He created a husband and a wife to commit to each other. And then he said, have at it. Pleasure, joy, procreation. This is my idea. Enjoy this. Sex was never meant to be something we do to hitch up, to see if we're compatible with, to swipe right for. We, this is never God's intention. And we can challenge it. And we can question it, but let's be clear. This is God's plan for us. They were to love each other through it. And they were, they were intimate and they were without shame. We have been covering. And let's take a look at why we've been covering. It has to do with this whole picture of the fall. Before I move on to the fall, let's just look at these. At our best, even today, at my best, I'm best when I'm reflecting the image of God and not my own image. I'm better when I'm promoting the image of God and I'm not self-promoting my own image. I mean, all the posts on Instagram and Facebook cannot quell my desire to be a part of something greater than myself. And so I'm at my best when I'm making God greater on earth than he is in, as he is in heaven. And then I'm also better when I'm responding to his word, when I'm not trying to change his word to match how I want to live, when I'm not questioning his word and, you know, to see if there is a little, you know, break in the law or just some area there that I can kind of skate on. I'm better when I just go, okay, I'm going to follow that. And I, I don't feel like it, but I'm going to fo- I'm at my best when God and his way is in my life. And I'm at my best when I'm loving others the way he loves me. I'm at my best when I show up and I I come into a room not thinking about what can I get from people, what will people say to me, but rather what I can give to people because of what God has given to me. Folks, we are at our best. And I'll just be honest. You don't have to come from a faith perspective to want these things because God has created us for them. That's where the image of God in us is defaced, but it's not erased. It's messed up by the fall, but there's still something there. There's a whisper in the story of us, of a God who created us for perfection. That's why we long for it. And a part of our brokenness is we want to get back into the garden. We want to move back into perfection, but we don't want God. And that leads us into problems. Each one of these three principles was challenged through temptation. Let's move 
to Genesis chapter 3. Switch over, move over to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to find that there's the worst of us, who we are at our worst. Rather than reflecting the image of God, we're going to be resisting the image of God. We're going to be reducing God. We're going to be changing, trying to change him rather than allowing him to be who he is. And we're going to be rebelling rather than responding to the word of God. And then instead of loving each other, we're going to be blaming each other. Let's take a look at how the story brings these out. And, and uh, to do that, look at Genesis 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field... Yeah, that was just appropriate to pause. And, and that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? This is a direct uh, a challenge to the word and to the way of God. After God said, remember what God said to Adam. He commanded the man, you shall eat of Every tree of the garden. See how Satan recrafted it? You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. I mean, if this is an adolescence at its prime, it's like, so you don't want me to do it any time, huh? I never get to do that. You always are like this. Satan says, yeah, did God say you can't eat of any tree in the garden? He wanted to show us that one tree and he wanted to make life all about that one tree that they were forbidden to eat from. And your life is limited. You could live life this way. And he asked that question. Did God actually say? A lot of people know what the Bible says, but they reach, they change it into what the, they want the Bible to mean. And I've heard this a lot. I've grown up in the church. I know the Bible says this, but <laughs> we need to be careful when we do that. Because it goes right against the word of God. We're to keep the word of God at what God says to it. And so the woman says, this has an effect on the woman here. It says... And by the way, temptation is going to do that. It's going to question the word of God and then the goodness of God. For if God was really good, he'd allow you to do whatever you wanted to do. Folks, that doesn't work in parenting. It doesn't. Do whatever you want to do today, kids. Eat whatever you want to eat. Drive wherever you want to go. Come home when it... Folks, that's the recipe for disaster. And yet so many people want God to follow their lives. It's the American dream to have God make all my wildest dreams come true. I call it the theology of Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite, right? It's just trust him and all your wildest dreams will come true. No, God does not exist to make you greater. You exist to make God greater. And so this has an effect, a wearing effect that's going to involve. Take a look at what this looks like. The woman says to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. What did God say? He said, you may eat of every tree in the garden. What did Eve say? We can eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. She left out, she subtracted from God's word. She limited God in her response. And then you shall neither shall you touch it. God didn't say neither shall you touch it. He says you shall not eat it. Or you will surely die. He, she added to the burden of God's law. And we can do that too. We can make God harsher, uncaring. We can craft a picture since we don't want to live 
in a way that makes him greater. Since we want life on our own terms, we can craft his word to match our lifestyle. People have been doing that. And my temptation is to do the same because I don't want God's word to mess with me. And the word for fool in the Bible is someone who would rather change the truth than change themselves. And then she said, lest you die, she softened the word of God. God said, you will surely die. And so to, by, by adding to, by subtracting, by, by dulling the word of God, Satan had an inroad. And take a look at what sa- Satan goes to. This is right here, the sucker punch. It says, for the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, what God said, you shall surely die. Satan said, you will not surely die. For God knows, I mean, he's keeping you. From being like him, he's limiting you, but this restriction and this harshness. So you can, it can happen and you can eat of this tree and nothing bad is going to happen to you. And we buy this lie just like she bought the lie. And it's no wonder that one of the top songs at a funeral that's requested is My Way by Frank Sinatra. Think about that. No, don't want amazing grace. How about my way? Because I lived life my way. Folks, they're dead. They're dead. My way, the life my way leads towards death. It does. And so this whole picture, this whole picture that she was called to do, to live life on our own terms is a picture we see every day. I mean, I don't know how many of you have ever driven the most beautiful car ever made called the Pacer. You know what I'm talking about? I grew up in the 70s, so I'm kind of dated. But the Pacer was the worst car ever made. And uh, I had a friend who had one, and he painted flames on the side of it. (laughs) That's just classic. Because if there's anything that you shouldn't put on a car, on a Pacer, it's flames. Because zero to 60 in four minutes, okay? (laughs) So flames, it's like, what? We caught on fire. That's the problem. So if someone came to you and said, hey, I know you got a Mercedes in the, in the, in the garage, but let's hotwire this, this pacer. Let's do that. We would go, are you kidding? I mean, let's say, take that to the junk store. Let's, let's get rid of that. But yet every time Satan does that, he makes the pacer look so good that only until after we drive the pacer do we go, what a piece of junk. And yet that happens so many times. We have been given so much in Christ. And yet we choose to go our own way. And we hotwire for something that's... And we take something we were never supposed to be driving. And we go down and there's wreckage. And we ask, come on, man. What happened? And a lot of it should be us. It's not God who didn't give his word. It's not God who didn't give his image to us. It's us who stepped away from it. And so look at what happens here. It says, so the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and she ate. Just in case you're wondering, the fruit looked good to her. In the book of Proverbs, in chapter 14 and chapter 16, there's a verse and it says this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And it's the same verse 
two chapters away. So if you want to learn two verses while only memorizing one, memorize that. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And the writer of Proverbs, who was a very wise man, realized we would forget in just two chapters what that whole story is in our lives. But it really looked good. Folks, sin and a, a direction apart from God's way can look good. It can feel good. And, and, and following God can seem wrong. Because there is a way that seems right in our own eyes. And that's why we need the word of God to set us straight. That's why we need uh, the Holy Spirit in our lives to be guiding us into truth. That's why we need each other, our church family. And folks, don't just fall back on, stop judging me. I see that all the time. I mean, it's when I don't want to obey you, stop judging me. We've got to grow up. And we've got to be willing to allow others in to love us the way God loves us. And, and if you're on that person who's speaking truth into someone, you've got to be gentle and respectful. But you also got to tell the truth and be bold. We need to be people who are willing to say what God says without walking away, but staying close. But she ate. And look what else happened. And she also, she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. How'd this happen? Well, there's some theologians and scholars who would say, oh, no, he wasn't with her. Here it says he was with her. And I says, well, that's not good enough. And then you look in the Hebrew and you find that when Satan was saying the word you, it's the plural form. He was speaking to two people. Now, there's only two people in the world at that time. So you was plural. He was speaking to both. So how did this go down? Think about it. That's how it could have gone down. Satan is talking to Eve. Adam is watching. He's going, if she eats and she dies, I won't eat it. And he was passive. The word that was given to him, he didn't defend his wife. He should have been the one speaking to Satan. And so she was deceived. He willingly chose. And that's why the responsibility falls on Adam. If you're a husband, this is something that ought to humble all of us. We're here to live and be authentic and reflect the image of God in our families, in our marriages. We're here to defend, to support, to encourage our wives, to think the best and want the best, and not to go passive. Well, if it happens to you, I won't do it. We don't, that's not where we want to be, guys. That's not where we want to be. Because look at what happened. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They immediately discovered that she's different. I'm, I'm different. That's not a good thing. They didn't see that difference as something that would be good. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Problem with fig leaves is that they wilt in time. I haven't tried it, but I just watched it. It, it wilts in time. And so they would always need a covering. And the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Folks, uh, we could have the shortest word of God in the history of humanity and we wouldn't be here right now if God would have walked away when they walked away. But the Yahweh Elohim, the name for God there, the Lord God, 
He is the God of the covenant. He is the God of the relationship. He is the God of the creation. He is our heavenly father. And he called out, where are you? Because sin separates us from God. And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid fear enters in because I was naked. Shame enters in and I hid myself. Covering enters in. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, you know that woman I just said, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Well, the one you gave to me, she gave to me. And the woman that you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Wow, how many times have we ever said, well, God made me this way. God made me this way and that's how I can live this way. He wouldn't give me sexual desires if he didn't want me in porn. Please, please, really? But that's the route we want to go down? No, we can't blame God for this. And then um, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And we've been using this one too. The devil made me do it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I've had people blame Satan for everything. You know, even uh, an event, long time ago, an event, a lady said, well, I was gonna bring brownies, but I dropped the tray and I just knew that Satan was in that and I didn't, (laughs) really, really? We can blame him for everything we want to live. But we don't have the authority to do that. But that's who we are at our worst. I don't want to be there. I know you don't want to be there. So what did God do? Well, that's the whole picture of redemption. And from Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation chapter 19 is a picture of God's provision for us. And when we come to God's provision for us, we've got to return to God because he's returned to us. I don't know where you are. I don't know what your background is. But a story that we keep hearing over and over is you either went to church or you've been invited when you were really young and you quit going and now you're reengaging the church and you're returning and you want to return back to God, but you don't know what that looks like. Well, God has come to you. And I don't believe you're here by accident. I believe God has provided everyone this weekend at fellowship because he wants you to return to him. Jesus came and he lived on this earth 2,000 years ago and he provided a provision for you. And it requires us to just recognize who we are without him and our need for him. And that word, that biblical word is repentance. We don't like that word because it means we have to change. But what do we have to change? We have to change our attitude about God. He's not, as Satan said, he's not limiting. He's not restrictive. He's not out and thinks the worst of us. This is the God who sees us for who we really are. And he came and he lived for us. He lived a perfect life. And he leads us in a new way for our lives. As the God of a new beginning in Genesis, he comes and gives us after the fall, a new beginning through his provision for us. And we're called to not work harder, not try harder, but we're called to rest in his provision. And so that this whole picture of what did it mean for them, it meant that uh, Jesus would be a provision for us. 
even back in Genesis. Some uh, scholars call this the first preaching of the gospel of Jesus was in Genesis chapter 315 as the serpent who tempted Eve is being cursed by God. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And what Jesus would do is ultimately take his work on the cross and his resurrection and he would stomp on the head of Satan. Yes! I like that story. Yes. But this is something that would happen. And the work of Jesus would do. He says, Satan, I mean, you are cursed to the ground. You will strike his heel, but he will stomp your head. Hate to be Satan. Hate to be Satan. His end is sure. So what do you do when you know you're not going to win? And the other team has more. You're going to mess with them. You're going to try to take, if you know another, I mean, you go after the kids of the heavenly father who pronounced this curse on you. And that's his role in our world, but it is not forever. It is for this time, but Jesus will ultimately win. And what did he do to cover Adam and Eve? He says, the Lord God made for Adam and his wife Eve garden, uh, garments of skins and clothed them. And so God saw it. God saw that whatever we would cover ourselves with would in time wilt. The problem is something had to die. An animal had to die for those skins to be provided. And here you get the start of the sacrificial system of God providing a covering And it would begin with these animals and it would continue throughout as this story of us continues of of an Abraham and a Isaac and a Jacob and a Joseph and a Moses and a Joshua and a Saul and a David and a Solomon and all the prophets. And we would see that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And without God covering us, we cannot cover ourselves. And so with Christ, look at this. Paul really brings this in Romans 5. He says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So Adam was our representative. He was the Michael Jordan of the human race at his prime. But this one without sin chose to go into sin. He fell and he fell and we have fallen in him. But Jesus Christ came and he lived a life in perfect obedience to his heavenly father. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. He didn't give in and he lived for a perfect life for us. He died a final death on the cross for us and became our covering. With Christ, you are covered. Without Christ, you will always be covering. And I have lived with Christ and I have trusted and lived in grace and I have lived with the confidence of his covering for me. And there's been times when I've walked away from that to think that I could cover for myself. And that has led me to one of the most frustrating moments of life. Be covered by grace. Be covered by the person and the work of Jesus Stop covering. That is a picture of repentance. Stop covering. Stop trying to be better. Stop trying to think that your good deeds can outweigh your bad deeds. You can be better than the people around you, but God never compares you with the people around you. He compares you with his son, Jesus, and all fall short of the glory of God. We need Jesus to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Cover us. And when you come to faith in Jesus, you just make that statement. Jesus, cover me. I'm a sinner. I turn from my sin.
to trust and follow you. When we do baptism at the end of this service and we take people under the water, it's a picture of the covering of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And that is what anyone in this room who turns to Christ and receive, will receive when they turn by faith from trusting themselves to trusting in him. I want to share with you a story of a guy named Jonathan Sublett. And uh, just today, I remembered that when Jonathan was growing up in South Oak Cliff in Dallas in the projects there, I was uh, in my freshman year at seminary. And I remember I got a job early in that. I forgot about it until today, even though I've met him several months now. And I remember I was a coin-appointed escort for children who couldn't be alone with their parents in that community. And so I would just show up and make sure nothing bad happened to that child. Usually abuse was involved. I remember driving through that neighborhood. And I remember just praying for South Oak Cliff. God, I just cover this group with prayer. I pray that the gospel would have freedom in this place. I pray that legacies would be changed. And God was working all along. Jonathan, when he came here to fellowship, he heard about you and two. And he started thinking about his life and how many people invited him. How many people were, would look in, in their lives and say, hey, come with me to church. Come and be part of my family. And you and two is the reason we're growing as a church because you're looking around, you're seeing people who are far from God and you're inviting them into what God is doing in your life. It's the number one reason we're growing. And it was a, a reality all along. I want you to hear his story and see that picture of redemption that we talked about today. Take a look at this. My name is Jonathan Sublett, and I grew up in South Oak Cliff, which is a part of Dallas-Fort Worth area. My story uh, begins with my earliest memories uh, of going to church with my aunt and uncle, and she was just married, and they would take me to church. And then from there, I would go to church with the Salvation um, Army bus that would come around my cousin's uh, projects in South Dallas. And uh, just like with my aunt, I was my cousin's end, too, because she would get extra candy if uh, she invited friends and, and children. And then from there, it would be my sixth grade teacher and basketball coach, and, and he would come around with his church van, and I was his end too. And then as I got in high school, it would be my friends that, that would invite me to go with them, and I would be their end too. And, and then I would get to college, and it would be college friends that would take me to church and introduce me to accountability groups. And it was there that I got... Uh, assurance for my salvation for the first time, and it drastically changed my relationship with God, um, and I was there and too. And then it was my first day of work after graduating from college, and one of my co-workers would invite me to church, and I was her and too. And it was at that church that um, I would enter Bible college, and it was at that church that I would announce my calling into ministry, and it was at that church that I would transition into seminary and, and, and then begin to enter full-time ministry. And so as I look back over my spiritual journey, there's all these people who were willing to be uncomfortable and invite me uh, that made such a difference. And while in this world, a lot of people despise being thought of as the third wheel, I see it as a privilege that, that someone valued me enough and saw enough in me to step outside of their comfort zone and invite me and walk alongside me in, in, in my faith walk. And because of that, the trajectory of my life has changed, my wife's life has changed, And my soon-to-be three uh, children's life has changed. And I hope that the legacy of my family going forward is different because I was somebody into.
should think, yeah. Think about the story that God is writing in you. Think about who you are at your best and at your worst and what God has done to cover you. And think about joining his work of redemption in this world, of having two people that you're always praying for, two people who are far from God, two people that whether circumstances, your greatest triumph or worst nightmare is happening, how God can use you in that to show them he's got you and them covered. This is redemption. It's the story of God, the story of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person that you have brought to this place today to show us who we are, how you created us, and how we are, and what you have done to bring us back. May we all live with that confidence of your covering for us. May we run from any temptation that would want to distort you or your word to draw us away and give us destruction. And may we follow you with joy. Create an appetite for you for your word in us, that we'd be willing to follow you, whether or not we feel like it, whether or not it even makes sense to us, but only because you call us to. May we be children who thrive on your word and on your way through Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.